This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security for February 11th, 2021. More software updates, including macOS, Chrome, Edge, and Plex, scam iPhone apps, and using Safari browser extensions. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. We've got a lot of updates to talk about this week. We're going to talk about a new macOS update, a Chrome update. We're going to talk about a Microsoft Edge update. Um, We've got some interesting stuff to say about Microsoft Edge. Plex Media Server needs to be updated. Let's start with the Mac 11.2.1. Love those dot, dot version numbers. That's how we know that something is really important here. Uh, This fixes a bug we talked about last week, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. Uh, After we recorded last week, um, we discovered that the sudo bug apparently did, it was confirmed to affect the uh, macOS as well. So we had talked about how this was a a privilege escalation vulnerability that affected a bunch of Linux operating systems, and we wondered whether it might affect the Mac as well. Turns out it did. And so uh, Apple just this week um, released a new update that fixes that vulnerability. So uh, there are also a couple of other vulnerabilities that were fixed as well with the Intel graphics driver, which is kind of funny. Um, These were uh, uh, arbitrary code execution um, vulnerabilities. Uh, It says an application may be able to execute arbitrary code with kernel privileges and uh, so they fixed a couple of issues there with the Intel graphics driver. That's specifically for Big Sur and Catalina. The sudo vulnerability was also fixed for Mojave, but the Intel graphics driver issue was not. So either it didn't affect Mojave or Apple just didn't care and figured sudo was worth releasing for everything. Well, let's do a little bit of an explainer here. You said uh, uh, an application may be able to execute arbitrary code with kernel privileges. That sounds kind of like someone can just throw data at something and maybe something will happen. Let me just make sure I understand. When it says arbitrary code, it means that an application may execute code that someone has injected into it. It's not just picking up random code someplace, right? Right. It's not random code. Yeah. Arbitrary code basically means that any code that an attacker wants to run, um, they can execute with kernel privileges, meaning that it has full access to everything it wants to on your system. Okay. Good to know. We have another update. It's Chrome 88. We'll link to an article on Ars Technica. Chrome users have faced three security concerns over the past 24 hours, including a zero day, a malicious extension, and sync abuse are keeping Google developers busy. Yeah, this is a lot of stuff. Um, Now, the zero day vulnerability is probably the most significant uh, just because this is something that um, Google said they're aware of reports that an exploit for that vulnerability exists in the wild. 
Um, so it is important to make sure that you're running the latest version of Chrome or if you're using any other browser that's based on the Chromium engine. So if you're using Microsoft Edge, you'll want to make sure that you update that as well because this bug also does affect Microsoft Edge and any other browser that's based on Chromium. That That is the most important one to make sure that you've got updated. Essentially, if you quit Chrome or your Chromium-based browser whenever you're done using it, then and then relaunch it the next time you want to go to a web page, you're fine. Now, if you are the kind of person like me who leaves your browser open all the time, then you're going to need to manually restart the app. Uh, so if you've got private browsing windows, you'll, you'll want to save anything in there that you might want to keep and, uh, and then relaunch your browser, and then that should fix the, the vulnerability. Hold on. What I want to know is why the press is just telling us that Chrome needs to be updated, whereas Microsoft Edge needs to be updated. Now, we were talking before we started recording that you switched to Microsoft Edge. We're going to talk about Microsoft Edge next week. Since they both use the Chromium engine, they're both vulnerable to this, yet the press is assuming that no one uses Microsoft Edge. Now, I have a memory of someone on a podcast saying, I don't know, a year ago, why would anyone want to use Microsoft Edge? Yeah, that was probably me you're thinking of. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, at the time, I think uh, I didn't really see the point. But as we talked about recently with the chromeisbad.com issue, where apparently the updater that's running in the background for Google apps, especially Chrome, um, is apparently causing problems for some people with their systems, I just decided to get rid of Chrome off of my system just in case that was contributing to some of the issues that I was experiencing. And um, I have not felt the need to go back to Chrome. Uh, I've really been enjoying using Microsoft Edge, which might sound kind of surprising. (laughs) Okay, we're going to talk more about Microsoft Edge next week because you're the guy who's tried a whole bunch of browsers. So there are two other issues, a malicious extension and sync abuse. Sync abuse sounds, I don't know, like someone parks in the wrong space. (laughs) <laughs> so they they said that uh, a security researcher reported last week that hackers were using malware that abused the Chrome Sync feature to bypass firewalls so that the malware could connect to command and control servers. Basically, they were they were finding some way that they could um, communicate to the hacker controlled servers through this Chrome Sync feature. So this. Chrome Sync feature is specific to Google Chrome. And it's to sync your bookmarks and your tabs and passwords and all that across your devices, kind of like what iCloud does. Yeah. And and so they the way that this was implemented was they injected a malicious extension that was not available in the Chrome Web Store. And uh, and then that allowed them to exploit the Chrome Sync feature. Um, so basically, it was it was hiding what they were doing. So it wasn't you know, obvious to, let's say, a network administrator, if you were in a in a business that was monitoring traffic and trying to look for bad things on your network, um, this would just be able to bypass that because it was using the Chrome Sync feature or abusing it, I should say. And the malicious extension. Yes. Um, so there was an extension. And this is, by the way, this is not the first time that something like this has happened. But uh, there was an extension called the Great Suspender, and uh, this had been uh, a popular extension a while back. Um, the idea behind this was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think this 
extension was supposed to sort of pause tabs that were not actively being used uh, to suspend them so they weren't constantly using processor um, power and things like that. Interestingly, when I was browsing through Microsoft Edge just before we started, Microsoft Edge has a feature that does that on its own. Exactly, which is one of the reasons why I like Microsoft Edge. Ah, okay. (laughs) Yeah, you don't need a third-party extension. So the problem here was not so much that uh, the developer of the original Great Suspender extension did something bad. Um, the, The actual issue was that the developer of that extension sold their extension to somebody else. And then uh, that new developer used that to add some malware into the extension. This is not the first time we've seen that happen. Um, This has been um, a particularly big problem with Chrome extensions because, you know, these small time developers get offered a bunch of money and they're like, yeah, sure, sure. I can this. I've made it big. I can cash out right on this cool extension I made. But uh, but that's exactly the problem is that a lot of times the companies that are buying these extensions that are popular are just turning around and either adding spying capabilities or other malicious functionality into the extension. Okay. Another update is Plex Media Server. Now, before we recorded, you said, should we talk about this? Do a lot of Mac users use it? And I said, I do. I've been using Plex for years to manage my video library of of DVDs and Blu-rays that I've ripped. I currently run it on a Synology NAS. I used to run it on a Mac Mini. Um, It's wonderful software. Uh, Apparently, it's being abused for denial of service attacks. What surprises me in the article here that we linked to on CDNet is it says that 27,000 Plex Media servers are exposed online that could be abused for DDoS attacks. Plex has a wonderful feature. If you buy a Plex Pass, which is the basic Plex functionality is free, but if you buy a Plex Pass, you get all sorts of great features. One of them is the ability for someone to connect to your library remotely. So let's say you travel a lot. You've got a movie library at home. You're in a hotel. Your iPad, you can connect to Plex, and you can watch movies. Um, now, you asked me before, does my router have UPnP enabled? I don't think it does. And I think the 27,000 is of all the people using Plex, there's a, 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 a group of settings that make it vulnerable to this exploit. Right. UPnP stands for Universal Plug and Play. And uh, it's technology that's been around for quite a while. Um, and a lot of uh, wireless routers and, and internet routers in general tend to have this on by default just because it makes it a little bit easier to use certain technologies within your network to have them automatically open up ports on your router. It was initially created, I think, for gaming, wasn't it? Right. That's where it really um, was used primarily is is for gaming. But it's not okay. really so much required for the most part anymore. And I generally recommend to people to turn it off unless you know for sure that you need it, because chances are most people don't uh, need UPnP. Yeah. And it can, be, uh, because of issues like this, it can create um, a vulnerability that you may not you know, expect or know about. Now, if you intentionally want to have your Plex media server open to the internet, then uh, you need to make sure that it's updated. They have released a new version of this that does fix that issue by making sure that that functionality only works on your local network. It won't work across the internet. 
And worth pointing out that when I checked on my Synology NAS, uh, the package manager application, which is the app that downloads apps and updates, it did not show an update available. So I went to the Plex dashboard, which said there was an update available. I downloaded it and manually updated it on my NAS. So if you are running Plex on a NAS, which is not uncommon, uh, I would recommend you check that way. Again, there are a lot of people who aren't going to have to worry about this. 27,000 doesn't sound like a lot. If you are using something like Plex that's accessing the network, you need to make sure it's safe. Here's a public service announcement from 9 to 5 Mac, and, and this one kind of floored me. If you update a Mac to Big Sur and you don't have enough space for the whole thing, uh, and Big Sur requires at least 35.5 gigabytes, if you don't have enough space, you can lose a lot of data. Now, 35.5 gigabytes is... So you've got to download the installer. The installer has to sort of decompress, install, and copy files. But it doesn't erase all the files until it's written the new files. So it requires a total of 35.5 gigs. If you have a Mac that's a few years old with 128 gig SSD, I bet you don't have 35 gigs free. My previous MacBook Pro was a 256, and I probably had 100 free because it wasn't my main Mac. Um, my iMac is 512 and I've got about a hundred free cause I've got a lot more data. So this is really risky. And uh, how, how can this happen? How can Apple allow this to happen? Because once you can lose your data, if you don't have a backup, you can be screwed. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a really serious problem. Uh, how can it happen? I don't know. I don't know how something like this uh, can pass Apple's uh, quality assurance testing, but um, obviously it did. Um, I don't know how many users have lost data because of this, but um, according to the this uh, article, it says that um, users may lose all of their data in some cases. So that sounds really serious, and and I'm sure that most users really don't back up everything all the time or back up everything before they install a Mac OS update. We've mentioned it many times, but it's very important to make sure you keep your, your data backed up. Um, you should have it backed up in multiple places. Make sure you've got a local backup. Make sure you've got a cloud-based backup that's properly secured. Um, and we, we've talked about that in a couple of episodes in the past, but, uh, but it's, it's worth mentioning again. What I find interesting is the original article states that the upgrade will start even if you have only 1% of free space left and will fail. So what's happening is it's checking for how much free space it is, and the check isn't working uh, because it's supposed to be able to tell you if you don't have enough. I'm sure you've seen on an iPhone or an iPad at some point uh, there's an update available and it tells you you don't have enough space. This is actually common with the Apple Watch. I'm in a Facebook group about the Apple Watch, and I see people posting they've got older model watches. And so recently someone said the updater, I think, was required three and a half gigs, and he only had 2.9, but the total was only like 4.8. And so you basically got to erase your watch. You've got to back it up, erase it, and reinstall it, and it's a real hassle. Didn't we have this problem a few years ago with um, iPhones that only had four or eight gigabytes as well. And then Apple had to issue an update to make it work more smoothly. 
That does sound sort of familiar. Yeah, I think there was an issue similar to that. It, it's definitely one of those things that <laughs> it, it shouldn't affect newer devices, right? Generally speaking, because you'll usually have a lot more free space available. But this does depend a lot on how you use your device. So if you install a ton of apps and you never uninstall anything, then you know that can take up a lot of space, especially on a, on a mobile device. Now on Macs, um, I think you're more likely to have a lot of space taken up if you do a lot of video editing, or maybe you record a lot of videos on your on your phone, for example, and back those up to your Mac. Or you record a lot of videos on your phone, and they're still on your phone. That's probably what takes up the most space. And since you can record um, 120 frame per second 4K video on an iPhone now, it's pretty easy to fill it up. Definitely. Yeah, that, that, that'll fill up space really quickly. And then if you're also backing that up to your Mac, uh, then it can fill up your Mac hard drive as well. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some scam iOS apps, a fake WhatsApp, and how to use Safari extensions to enhance your browser. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2021. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier, powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, personal backup to keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Big Sur and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. Scam iOS apps. This is an interesting story. And, and people I know have been talking about this for a couple of years, that basically apps will say you got to get a subscription for 5 or $10 a week to be able to use this. And what, what happened recently, just a few days ago, a developer named Costa Elefteriu, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, he is a developer of the Flick-type Apple Watch keyboard app. And he noticed that there were um, clones of his app on the App Store. And when he looked into some of them and then looked at other apps, he found all of these things that were not just clones, but other apps with subscription scams. The worst one he found was something called KeyWatch, which launched with a blank interface and an Unlock Now button. Tapping the button prompted users to confirm an $8 a week subscription for an app that doesn't do anything. Apple just had a $100 billion quarter, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I search the App Store, not the Mac App Store so much, but more the iOS App Store, and I'm looking for a specific app, and I can't tell which is a legitimate app and which isn't. Yeah, and that's pretty sad because this is something that Apple, you know, makes a, a lot of noise about, you know, how great their app store is because they've got this uh, walled garden, this tightly controlled ecosystem. They review all the apps before they go up and um, there's really, unfortunately, a lot of things that slip past 
that um, are not legitimate, you know, or maybe have some legitimate functionality, but are doing a lot of nefarious things. This should not be the case for the App Store, right? Everyone feels very comfortable downloading apps from the App Store, generally speaking, whether it's iOS or macOS. Um, yeah. Now, this particular developer, this is an iOS developer, and they're saying that uh, one of these scam apps, they estimate that uh, the developer is making $5 million a year from, from this scam. This is crazy. Um, you know, clearly Apple is profiting from this, too. Exactly. Apple's making 30% of that. So it's not really in their financial interest to stop it. But he, he mentions that um, there are fake ratings and you can purchase fake reviews, the same as you can do for Amazon and all that. Apple's kind of got a responsibility here, don't they? Apple talks a lot about privacy and how this is so important to them. Um, you know, every opportunity he gets, uh, Apple CEO Tim Cook is always talking about privacy and how Apple does everything that they can to protect you. And yet <laughs> we're seeing all, you know, third party app developers um, that are clearly doing things to violate privacy. And uh, it seems like Apple could be doing a lot better job to stop these apps from existing on the App Store in the first place. And if they are discovered, they should be quickly removing these and, you know, identifying anything that is similar to that and preventing those kind of apps from being submitted to the App Store or, or from being accepted into the App Store in the future. I don't know if you remember this, but there was a game that came out a few years ago. It was called Threes. And you would have like little tiles, two, four, eight, sixteen, thirty-two. And you, if you put a two over a two, it would turn to a four, and the four over the four, it would turn to eight. And it was a really popular app for a few weeks, and then the clones came, and dozens, hundreds of clones. And originally, it was threes, and then the clones started calling themselves two thousand forty-eight because I think that was the highest multiple you could get. And I remember looking. Um, I re-downloaded the threes app not long ago, so I searched for it in the iOS app store. And the first one that came up was the original 2048 game instead of the original threes game that was cloned so quickly. It's hard because what can you do? Can you as a developer file a complaint and say they've ripped me off and it's going to take so long and all that, but it feels like one of those places you go where everything's on sale. It's like last year's models of stuff. And there's so much crap for any popular type category. You don't know what you're getting. I, I read today that Apple takes down about half a million developer accounts a year. Now, if there are that many scammers that they take down and there are so many more that are still scamming and making millions of dollars, Apple really needs to deal with this. Yeah, clear, clearly there are some things that they should be doing behind the scenes that they're not currently doing. Maybe the number of developers that we're seeing who are doing nefarious things in the App Store is just, you know, maybe 0.1% perhaps of the total number of scam apps that are submitted. And so maybe Apple is overall doing a pretty good job, but just the fact that some are still slipping past uh, into a store that everybody feels like they can trust that's a problem, and, and Apple does need to figure out some way to address that. Speaking of fake apps, a spyware vendor, Vice tells us, seemingly made a fake WhatsApp to hack targets. This is not in the App Store. This is different. This is the kind of app where you're tricked into installing a configuration file. Now, you may have installed a configuration or a profile file. Um, some third-party uh, VPN apps require you to do that. 
But normally, unless you're working for a company that's managing a lot of devices, you should never have to do this. Um, so in this case, that profile file allows someone to basically control your phone and install anything they want. Right. We actually had an episode about this. Um, we talked about um, MDMs, mobile device management solutions. And um, the the general idea behind an MDM is that, you know, if you are a corporation and you want to manage a lot of, of devices and be able to deploy apps to them and do other things like that, um, an MDM is a really good, easy way to, to do that. It makes it possible to do a lot of different management things uh, with those devices. And um, the problem is that anybody can install one of these mobile configuration profiles. If you're installing a profile like this from somebody else, some, from somebody who has nothing to do with your organization, um, then they now have the ability to deploy apps to your device. I've actually seen this sort of thing in the wild. Um, I, uh, a relative of mine was once showing me that they had some weird thing that was going on with uh, a particular app. And so I started poking around on their phone and I realized, oh, well, that's weird you have a what you know one of these profiles installed and uh do you know where this came from and they had no idea and uh i thought oh well um that's that's pretty scary right like like this this should not be happening but the in in the in this particular case what happened is that as vice says there was a a spyware maker that put out this um italian uh language landing page that appeared to offer whatsapp for your iphone so you happen to browse to this page maybe somebody sends you a link to it um, however you get to this page there's a button to in, apparently install whatsapp and what actually happens is when you click on that, it prompts you to install um, a configuration profile. And then if you choose to install that, that makes it possible for the uh, whoever it was that sent you that link to now install whatever they want on your device. They could, um, they could deploy fake versions of apps like this WhatsApp clone um, and uh, do any number of other things. They can change settings. Uh, permanently on your system. Uh, they can lock you out of things. There's a lot of different things that, that they can do that can damage your use of the device. If you want to check, go in your iOS device to settings, general profiles and device management. You'll only see that last entry if you do have any profiles. Um, now, if you have an Apple developer account, you're using beta software on an iOS device, you will have a profile. That's how um, Apple knows that you can that you're authorized to get this. As I said, some VPNs use profiles, but not all. Um, and if you are in a business, uh, you know, a big business or a school uh, district or something that, that manages a lot of devices, you may have this. If you see a profile that you don't know, delete it because it could be dangerous. Exactly. Okay, Safari extensions. Now, I just wrote this article on the Indigo Mac security blog, how to use Safari extensions to enhance your browser. But Josh, you don't know anything about it. Um, you don't use Safari, so you don't even know how <laughs> Safari extensions work, do you? Oh, I know a little bit about it. I have used Safari extensions in the past. Uh, I just, yeah, Safari is really not my main browser, but uh, but I, I do okay. use some extensions when I use Safari. Well, all browsers have some sort of extension system, um, and Safari in particular, um, there there are some 
issues about Safari that make things a little bit different? When Safari 5 came out in 2010, anyone could distribute an extension from a website, like, you know, shareware, or Apple had a, a web page called the Extensions Gallery, and you could just click and the extensions would install. When they released Safari 12, they said they were going to stop that. And then in 2019, all extensions were only available through the Mac App Store. Now, there are a couple of problems with this because extensions now have to be part of an application. You can't have an extension that is just an extension. If you go to Safari and then the Safari menu, then choose Safari extensions, you'll get to a page in the Mac App Store with a bunch of Safari extensions, a couple of articles explaining how they work. But what you'll notice is that some of them aren't extensions, like 1Password. It's an app. And you see that and you think, well, it says it's an extension. What's the difference? The difference is that some apps come with extensions in them, and some apps are actually extensions with an app just to be able to put them in the Mac App Store. Now, I have an example um, in my article, uh, a wonderful extension I found called Markdown Linker for Safari. Now, Markdown is this uh, language that's simpler than HTML. And when I'm making lists of things for articles during research, I often need to copy web page titles and links. So with this extension, I can do a right-click, choose Copy Markdown Link, and in Markdown formatting, I get the name of the web page and the link. So it saves me copying the title, pasting in my document, copying the link, pasting in my document. But this extension, while it has an app, all the app is is something that says Markdown Linker for Safari and Open Extension Setting. So you may have an app for an extension that doesn't do anything. Um, there are other apps like one password. The extension is just uh, a tool that works with uh, a, a sort of an interface with one password. One of the things you said there is that some of these are apps that also have a Safari extension as part of its functionality. Um, now there's other things like, um, and I'm glad you point this out in your article, honey for Safari um, that is specifically um, a Safari extension, really. And what's interesting about Honey is that um, uh, it's one of those apps that says that it can help you save a lot of money on the internet, right? You can find and apply coupon codes when you shop online. But of course, the real purpose of Honey and the reason why it's free is that they're tracking every website that you go to in your browser. <laughs> right. So, so Honey... Um... Basically, it uses affiliate links for all sorts of different websites. Uh, it may find you a coupon code, but everything you buy from Amazon is going to get the affiliate income from from Honey, sort of uh, putting itself in between your browser and Amazon by adding that affiliate link. Uh, Honey's a good example because uh, when you look at the description of what extensions can do, in the extensions preferences, it says, can read sensitive information from web pages, including passwords, phone numbers, and credit cards. And when you think about that, do I want this app to be able to read all of that? So when you go to the Mac App Store for Honey, you don't find any information uh, in the privacy labels, which we talked about recently. Now, as an example, I put a screenshot of the 1Password privacy label. It says very clearly, it may be it may collect your location, identifiers, contact info, usage data, and user content. Doesn't say anything about 
I believe purchase methods was the terminology that Apple uses for those labels and other things. So the problem is, since Honey's not saying what it collects, it might be collecting anything. I didn't know Honey before this. And the reason I put it in is it shows up on the main screen in the Mac App Store. And when I looked into it, I found out that um, Honey was purchased by PayPal for $4 billion in late 2019. So it's clear that they're getting an awful lot of data um, to be able to, um, I guess, monetize that data by, by PayPal knowing exactly what you're doing. And PayPal, if PayPal knows what a lot of people are buying, that may help them decide what to sell and at what prices. Yeah. So now Honey is not malicious, but it's clearly something that you probably want to avoid if you really care about your privacy. And isn't that funny that that's one of the extensions that shows up, you know, when you go to the, to look at Safari extensions, it's right there, right in front of you. Well, so this is, I, I'm assuming this is an editorial choice. It's a section that says browse better. Uh, I guess it's the most popular extensions that come up like that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, to be fair, w- after I posted this article, a developer named James Thompson, who has the wonderful pCalc app, which is a calculator for Mac and iOS, he pinged me on Twitter to say, well, it's not actually that simple. And you can look into the package to see the JavaScript, to see what they can collect. Now, not everyone's going to do that. But I linked to his article where he explains that while technically they could get a whole lot of data, so Apple's being very broad in saying what it could collect, in most cases, they're not getting all that data. Um I'm kind of hesitant about these extensions. I, I know that they can get a lot of data. I use a few extensions. I use I use the one password extension. I'm not worried about that. I use one blocker as an ad blocker. Um, I use Bear. Bear is a an app that I use to save notes and texts and all that. And they have an extension which shows up as a button in the toolbar. So if I click that, it'll save the web page that I'm on. But I don't use a lot of extensions now. You'll find that some of them, you can find extensions to make uh, a dark mode for Safari pages. There's a Grammarly extension if you use the Grammarly service to check your writing. There's a DuckDuckGo privacy extension. There's a lot of different kinds. You may already have a bunch of extensions that you don't even know about because if an app you use has an extension, it is not enabled by default in Safari. So you do need to go into the preferences and check. And let's say you use one password or bear and you don't know they have an extension, you might find it useful to turn them on. And just really quickly, the way to find out what extensions you do have installed um, is to open Safari and then go to the Safari menu and preferences. And then you've got um, a section of the preferences called extensions. And then anything that you've got uh, currently installed, you'll sh- it'll show up on the left side there. So um, again, it, you'll have some things from apps that you currently have installed, um, as well as any extensions you may have installed at some point uh, in r- the recent past. <laughs> because a- as you mentioned, it doesn't show extensions from pre-Safari 12 days. Right. Those older extensions don't work anymore. Right. Okay. So that's enough for this week. Next week, we're going to talk about Microsoft Edge because I'm excited that I can replace Chrome, which I rarely use, but I sometimes need. Until then, Josh, stay secure. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you'd be so kind, leave a rating, a like, or a review. 
Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com.